0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 75. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today, I thought I would give you a little recap on what has been new with me in season two, since I have kind of gotten out of the habit of filling you in before the episodes. So before we get started with Meanie Icon, which I can't wait to share, I thought I'd give you a little bit of an update. We have rescued a puppy named Eleanor Roosevelt, lively, a few weeks ago. I want to say about a month ago. For those who are following me on Instagram, you may have seen her. We call her Ellie for short, and she's a very sweet dog. One of the other exciting things that's coming up in our future is we are going to Chicago in a few weeks for a kind of an extended trip. We have two weddings for both of our families. Both Mr. Lively and I have cousins getting married in Indianapolis one week apart. So in between, we decided to actually work from Chicago, which is really fun. I have not come back to Chicago since we moved in August. I can't wait to see our friends and I cannot wait to eat some nachos. And in addition, I'm excited to say for those that have heard about the stressful, overworked, busy me of the end of season one, season two has been a huge contrast. I've been really careful to keep focused on my essentialist one things, after reading essentialism and the one thing, I really narrowed down and got very clear on what my focus has been. I've been working Monday through Wednesday on a secret project which I'm excited to announce soon. Now let's move on to today's show with Mimi Icon. Mimi Icon, where do I begin? I will first of all say pretty much obsessed with her. She is so incredible as a person and someone to follow online quite honestly. I found out about her through UJ Ramdas, who is the co-author of the 5-Minute Journal. I had UJ on the show, and he introduced me to his co-author, Alex Icon's wife, Mimi. Mimi and Alex have a hair extension company called Luxie Hair Extensions, which is hugely successful. In addition to the hair company, Mimi also has her own personal blog and following separate from Luxie Hair Extensions over at MimiIcon.com. Before she started Luxie Hair Extensions, she was an image consultant. So she shares a lot of things about makeup and hair and style that I find really helpful and enjoyable to watch. In this episode, we'll talk about how she moved from Baku, Azerbaijan, to Canada, why she decided to quit college after her first year, how Mimi helped support her family working two full-time jobs, what led Mimi and Alex to start Luxie Hair, and we're going to discuss why Mimi fell into depression even while living in the south of France, working only 10 hours a week, running a successful business. Let's go to the show. Mimi, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. As I was going through your social media and your content, it was all so beautiful and almost surreal to imagine you traveling to all of these foreign lands all the time. And then I got a little deeper into your story, and I was even more fascinated by where all of this began. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your background and where this started for you? Where did your life begin?
1: (laughs) Well, my life began very far away in a place called Baku, Azerbaijan, When I say this to people, usually they're clueless and they don't even know where that is.
0: I saw that online because I was wondering where your accent was from. So I was like, where is she? And then I had to Google it (laughs) I had to go on Wikipedia.
1: (laughs) Well, my accent is a bit of a mixture because I speak Russian, Azeri, Turkish. I I speak a few different languages and it's all like mixed. (laughs) Um, But anyways, yeah, I was born in Baku. Um, At the time, I was part of USSR. So I grew up speaking Russian and going to a Russian school. When I was 15, actually, I just turned 16. Me and my family immigrated to Canada, Toronto, and that's where I lived for 11 years. And now I'm in London, UK.
0: So what was it like living in the USSR?
1: I mean, as a kid, you don't really understand much, I guess. You just kind of accept everything that is. And I would say I had a really good childhood. I didn't really compare myself to other kids. I just, I was grateful to have what we had. And it was very simple life, you know, playing with the kids in our neighborhood every day and just like enjoying ourselves. But now looking back, I understand that it wasn't a luxurious lifestyle. It was very simple upbringing I think what, the most important thing what we had, though, when we were growing up is the love of our parents. So for that, I'm really grateful.
0: What was the transition from the USSR to Canada like as a 16-year-old? I was about eight years
1: old when USSR broke down. And then once USSR broke down, we were exposed a lot to American films and American lifestyle. And that's kind of when me and my sister, Layla, we got really inspired by this whole American Hollywood dream. And from then on, we had this big dream and vision to move to the U.S. and go to Hollywood, become actresses and do something fun like that. So we kind of knew that at one point we will leave Azerbaijan. And we communicated that to my parents pretty much early on when I think, you know, before we were 10, like we kind of told them, we're going to move. But like, (laughs) you just just wait and see. And they could tell we were serious. It was really hard to get into the U.S. I think getting a green card was one of the only ways to get in the U.S. So they decided the closest is Canada, so let's just let's just do that. And we did the whole immigration process. It took three years. We just waited. And one day they got a letter to go to a Canadian embassy in Poland. And you kind of have to go through an interview. And if you pass medical tests as well, then you get a visa. So within three months, we got a visa and we had to move. They had to quit their jobs, sell the house, move their whole life into a new country. As a kid, it was just very exciting because that was my dream and it was all happening so fast. But I can imagine how stressful it must have been for my parents. I can only understand now, but you know, it was very happy and exciting time.
0: What was Canada like for you right away? It was a shock. <laughs> I realized
1: it's very different from U.S. and California, kind of what we envisioned. Thank God it was summer. We arrived in late August. But I just remember looking out and thinking, this doesn't look exactly what I imagined. <laughs> but I'm still very happy just to get out of Azerbaijan because as a kid, well, first of all, my parents didn't have the money to travel, but also our passport wouldn't allow us to travel anywhere beside from you know countries that are around Azerbaijan, would would be Russia, Turkey. You couldn't really go... America let's say it would be really hard to get a visa or you couldn't go to Germany or any of the European countries it's much easier now because things have changed and they're developing as well but back then we didn't really travel as kids and I just remember always dreaming and having this passion for traveling and like wanting to see the world and discover different cultures and meet different kind of people learn languages so just going to canada was already exciting because you know, <laughs> i got to go on a plane and fly across the the world you know go over the ocean i just it was just so exciting
0: what happens after you're in canada for a few years
1: high school happened it wasn't as glamorous as they showed it in the american movies <laughs> I wouldn't say I got bullied, but you can just see other kids' reactions when you speak with an accent or you dress differently. So I just remember kind of telling myself, this is not forever. You just have to get through this. And already in grade 11, I was thinking, okay, I can't take another year of high school. So in grade 12, I was just thinking of any way to escape high school. And I found out about co-op, which is a program that you can do. And you pretty much work full time and you have to go to school on, I think, just once a week or twice a week. I don't remember the details, but it allows you an opportunity to go and work at a real job get experience, and uh, not go to school, which for me was perfect. And of course, you get credits and you can graduate. I thought that would be the perfect thing for me. I went to a few places. I was considering a hotel, a travel agency, because again, I always knew that I liked business and I liked traveling. So I thought, okay, this could work. When I went to a hotel, I knew right away that wasn't for me. <laughs> I went to a travel agency, just left my resume there. And then in the same plaza, it was a bank. And it was quite close to my house. And I thought, oh, this could be convenient. And I just walked in there and they loved me so much. They said, yeah, sure, come for an interview. And within a week, I was able to get a placement. And I worked there as a co-op student. So pretty much at 17, I was already working at a bank. And I thought, that's pretty cool. You know, as a new immigrant, it's a pretty cool job to have, even though I wasn't getting paid while I was in school. But as soon as I graduated, I got hired and I worked at that bank for four years.
0: What was the bank journey like?
1: I never loved the work I was doing. <laughs> I found it interesting, but I always knew I, like banking is just not for me. I like, when we were chatting with you earlier. I said I'm not a numbers person. I'm good at math, and I can be good at it. However, it's just not something I enjoy. What I really loved about the bank environment was just meeting new people every day and hearing people's stories. I started as a teller, so it was very exciting because I would see hundreds of people every day from all parts of the world and talking to them and it's just communicating, getting that energy from people. To me, that's really important. It's a really important part of my life. And I only started appreciating that when I started working with a computer because you start realizing how different the environments are. I really miss that in my work right now. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, I I love that part of the work. And I think that's why I lasted like four or five years at the bank. And we had a really great team. And um, yeah, that's where I met Alex, actually. So I was wondering, does that play into Alex? Yeah, something really great came out of it um, is, of course, meeting Alex, who was by accident transferred into that branch. But are there really any accidents in life?
0: (laughs) How did he accidentally get transferred?
1: He applied at a different branch, and then they never called him back. And after a month of waiting, I think, decided to call them. And they said, oh, we did really like you. We don't have room at this branch for that position. However, you might want to try this branch. He came to see the manager. She loved him. Of course she would. <laughs> and he was pretty much hired on the spot. And I just, I actually remember meeting him and it was just so funny because you you know, you meet somebody and you never realize that person will be one of the most important people in your life.
0: So what did you think of him when you first saw him?
1: <laughs> it's a funny story actually, because my manager told me right away, he speaks Russian and I, I got a bit like, not upset, but annoyed. I'm like, I was the only person at this branch Russian. now there's going to be two of us. <laughs> I was a bit annoyed, like, he's going to steal my customers. <laughs> but we we connected quite fast because we had so much in common. And most importantly, that was the vision of, like, traveling, just seeing the world through different lenses.
0: And so what years did you meet Alex?
1: I was 20. Um, Alex was 19 at the time. So I was already working at the bank for three years
0: we're talking about getting hired right out of high school. So did you consider college or was that not something on your radar? So I
1: worked at a bank before I had any college education, clearly because of the co-op program. So they liked my work and they said, you can just stay and work here full time if you want. And I decided to take a year off right after high school because first of all, my parents couldn't afford to pay for my school. Throughout working as a waitress uh, while I was in school, I supported my parents financially because they were both struggling and trying to figure out how they can earn money. My father had a really great job in Baku. However, when you immigrate to a new country, nobody knows you. You have to start from zero. Again, that's another thing that I truly appreciate that my parents did for me and my sister because I can only imagine how tough it can be for somebody in their late 30s, early 40s to you know, move into a new country with no language and start from the zero. So throughout high school, I worked as a server and I made a lot of money like that, that I was able to support my parents. And then I started working at a bank. So I was doing bank high school and serving. And then once I graduated from school, I took the year off, I continued working at the bank. And then I thought, okay, I might try college, why not? Of course, my parents were pushing for me to go to university, but I said, listen, if you guys are not going to pay for it, which you want because you can't afford to put me through university, I'm not paying to go to university if I don't know what I want to do. I just don't think it makes sense logically to go into something, waste all this money and kind of not have a purpose while you're there. It's one thing if you want to be a doctor, if you know exactly what you want to do, that makes a total sense to do that. A college was something that was more interesting and exciting for me because it's more applied I like when I can practice on something where I can get knowledge that is not so philosophical but more actionable. So I thought, okay, fine, I'll try international business because I like traveling and business. That sounds like the perfect thing. I did um, enjoy it for the first year. My second year I had to take accounting and I just remember going to my accounting class and sitting there and thinking okay, well, I don't know how this is going to work out because I could tell right away that, you know, I'm good at math, but accounting is a whole different story. (laughs) And I knew that if I want to pass it, then I will have to have a tutor. And I really, I didn't have the time or I couldn't make the time, but it's just, it wasn't a priority. I just figured that if I have a real business, I'm going to hire somebody to do accounting. (laughs) It's simple as that. And I can tell you it's the accounting that made me drop out of college. And not for a second do I regret making that decision. I'm so happy. (laughs) I'm so happy I did that because I think real life experience is so much more valuable if you decide to be an entrepreneur.
0: Obviously, you switched directions with a purpose. What was the purpose for dropping out of college? What did you do next?
1: Well, at the time I was still kind of lost. (laughs) I just I just knew school wasn't gonna do it for me. So I said, fine, I'm just gonna focus on working at the bank, maybe trying to grow there, still working at the restaurant full-time. So having two full-time jobs, which was a bit of a crazy lifestyle, you know. Like I just felt like I was in a rat race, waking up at seven in the morning, going to the bank, then finishing it at 5, 5:30, and then having maybe half an hour, an hour break between my serving job. And both of these jobs are very intense. And I think it's the love for people that made me stay in that for a long time, because I just felt energized by all the people I got to meet through my jobs, but I was exhausted by the end of the day. So I was wondering at the time, like, how long could I do this for? (laughs) But yeah, I'm glad I did it. It, It's a great thing to do in your teen years or in your early 20s. This is the time to really hustle and get really strong and disciplined. And I'm really grateful that I worked hard during those years. I still do work hard, but it's a different kind of work.
0: But you were also supporting your parents at that time. That is a lot of responsibility for a young woman.
1: You just, you got to do what you got to do. That's all I can say. I remember that we used to live in an apartment building and I kept telling my dad, we need to move in a house. Like, I don't want to invite my friends to an apartment building. It's too ghetto. You know, because as a kid, you judge yourself and you feel being judged. And that's just the reality, right? And my father said, "I can't afford. Like, if you want to live in a house, then we have to all support each other." And I said, "Fine, I'll support, <laughs> I'll support the family, but let's get a mortgage and <laughs> move into a house." Because to me, it's very important to grow and see a progress as as you're moving through life. If you get stuck in one point, then you get stuck mentally as well. So, anyways, at that point, I end up meeting Alex, and we worked at the bank together for a few years. Became really good friends at first. And then I actually decided to move back to Azerbaijan at one point. That was when we actually started dating is when I decided to move back. I think Alex had this aha moment that he might lose this friend. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of asked him out because I was moving to Azerbaijan and because I just got really tired of this lifestyle, you know, it was all work. I was in my early 20s, but completely exhausted of feeling like this old person who has No fun because I was working seven days a week. You know, if I had a half a day off, I was really happy and excited, but really too exhausted to really enjoy it. So I remember that I went to Baku in the summer and I had so much fun. Of course, it was a holiday, so (laughs) it wasn't the real life. And then I came back to Canada and I made this decision to move back to Azerbaijan. I came back to the bank and I told them about my decision, quit my restaurant job, sold my car, and I was pretty much packing to go. And I remember wanting to go ice skating because at the time they didn't have any ice skating rinks in Baku. So I was talking to Alex and I said, I don't have ice skates, but if you can get me a pair of ice skates, I'll go ice skating with you. To me, that was just like a fun, friendly thing (laughs) I get to do with him. But to him, he always says it was like the green light. He said, oh, maybe we can be more than friends. So He did get the ice skates and we went ice skating and that was our first date. He didn't know how to skate so he had to hold on to me and you can imagine how that turned out. After the date, he tried to kiss me and I was like, no, shutting him down. I'm like, there's no point for us to start dating because I'm moving to Azerbaijan and I'm not planning to come back to Canada. If I don't like it there, I'm just going to go to Dubai or London and he said, well, I'm not asking you for anything. Let's just see where this goes. And I turned him down about four times, but he was so persistent. You just won't believe it. Nobody ever been so persistent with me. And I really respected him for that. And actually, Alex taught me a lesson back then, which is, if you're persistent, you can get anything in life. Really, you can. And he, he won my heart that way because I remember at one point I asked him, I said, why are you even trying? Like, I turned you down so many times why are you trying so hard and he looked me in the eyes Jess, and he said because i can see this and when he said that i could really see it in his eyes too <laughs> it was so clear it was just unbelievable and of course i didn't say anything and i i didn't give in in that moment but he was so confident and so convincing and so authentic and real at the same time it wasn't that he was he wasn't bluffy he could see this future with me Slowly, I, you know, I left my guard down. And I think for the most part, the reason I was turning him down is because he was such a perfect partner. And before Alex, I didn't have any balanced, normal relationships, quite frankly. So I wasn't used to being treated so nicely, so respectfully, so kindly, so unconditionally. So it takes time sometimes to get used to that (laughs) and to also realize that you deserve that as well.
0: So you go back to Azerbaijan
1: so I go back to Azerbaijan and I didn't last more than a month I'll tell you that (laughs) I was there for a few weeks and this whole time we were writing these long emails to each other which ended up published in a book for me (laughs) as a Valentine's Day gift I ended up deciding after a few weeks of being there that I've changed too much to be able to live there it's a different environment it's still quite corrupt and um, in order to make money you might have to do some things that I wouldn't. So yeah, I just realized it was a mistake, but it was a great mistake because I had fun while I was there for a month. You know, I have a lot of families still there and just spending quality time with them. And also when I came back to Canada, I was promoted at the bank, which is funny. But the most important thing is, and that's something I tell my friends when they say, well, I want to move here, but I don't know if it's going to be the right decision. In life, even if you fail, at least you know you've lived your life. Like I never questioned myself. That if this decision is not right, then all people will look at me and they'll say, oh, well, that was a failure. I think at the end of the day, a real failure is if you don't try. If you try, you never fail. You learn something from that experience and you grow, you move forward, and ultimately you become stronger and more resilient. So I came back to Canada, got a boyfriend, (laughs) and also got promoted at the bank to a branch ambassador However, at the time, I already knew that I wouldn't last too long there. Because, you know, when you leave something, you kind of know your heart is not in it.
0: So you go to Azerbaijan and you don't feel like you fit in and you left Canada because you're sick of the rat race. So coming back, how are you reconciling the fact that you didn't feel like you fit in in either place or lifestyle? You know, I had a few
1: doubts. I'm not going to lie, but it's funny. I flew to Kiev because it's a long flight, so you have to break it down. So I flew from Baku to Kiev, and from Kiev to Toronto, I was sitting next to this older gentleman, and we had an amazing seven, eight-hour conversation. He was older, and he had a wife, but he, I think he was divorced, or he wasn't dating anyone at the time. He said, Mimi, you know, I've traveled the world, I've been to all these places, and he said, you know, you can do that alone, but when you do it with a partner, it's a completely different experience. You can always do it alone. But if you think this is a special person, really invest into this experience and maybe you have something special. And I thought it was the right time to hear that because I was a bit upset to go back because if it wasn't for Alex, I would have probably went to Dubai or London. I would have not come back to Canada. But I realized that if this is what's happening, then maybe that's what needs to happen. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to surrender to life and what's happening.
0: Okay, so you come back into Alex's arms. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) completely surrendered
1: at that point. And then I went back to the bank because I got promoted and I worked there for a little bit. And then I was planning to leave the bank at one point or another. I was just trying to decide where am I going to go? I didn't really know the path. And then Alex got fired from the bank for having a side business. You know, when you work for a bank, it's a corporation. So they pretty much own you while you're there. And he was using his work email to do his business deals. (laughs) And they were checking all the emails and all the phone calls. And one day, corporate security came and they had a whole file on him. Even our branch manager didn't know that this was happening. That happened in like a quick instant. And all we knew is that that's it. Pretty much his career that he was planning. Which for him, I think one of the things he really wanted to do was become an investment banker. And I'm so happy that didn't happen. But that was kind of the end because he realized he's just a number. He's just a cog in the machine of this corporation. They didn't allow him to explain himself. They just said, you shouldn't be doing this at work during your work time. And that was it.
0: What was his business?
1: Alex's business at the time was shipping cars from U.S. to Russia. So that's what he was doing part time. And he was also going to school, university and also working. So he was like me, a bit crazy doing, doing three things at the same time.
0: Yeah. So what was it like when he lost his job and you were still there? I just knew right away that I need to leave
1: because for me, that was <laughs> that was already decided many months before when I moved to Baku. Alex was a bit disappointed, of course, because he wanted to be an investment banker. That was kind of the path he wanted to follow. But when he was fired from the bank and not even given an opportunity to explain himself, he realized he's just another number in this corporation. So he said, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing. <laughs> and I pretty much quit maybe a few weeks later and They didn't want to leave me because they really liked me at the bank. And I loved my team as well. That's why I think I worked there for so long. But it was definitely time to move on.
0: Okay, so you guys are both jobless at this point. What was that chapter like?
1: It was exciting and fearful at the same time. I think fear and excitement is pretty much the same emotion, isn't it? It's just the perspective you give it.
0: Wow. Let's just say that again. Fear and excitement are pretty much the same emotion. It's just which perspective you're looking at it.
1: You know when you have to do a public speaking or if something exciting is happening, you're going to an event, a birthday party, you get these butterflies in your stomach. The fear and the excitement physically feels the same way. Absolutely the same symptoms. Really, the, the meaning you give to the emotion is what it becomes. If you interpret it as fear, it will be fear. Let's say you're getting on a plane and you're scared of flying. You can say, Right now I'm scared, or you could say, I'm excited. Really, it's up to you what meaning you give to that emotion. I don't know. That's what helps me deal with emotions I think myself.
0: That's amazing. Okay, so you're having this butterfly symptoms that you're describing as excitement and fear or a little bit of both.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a mix, depending on the mood, right? You can see it as excitement <laughs> or you can see it as fear. But we're young and we're desperate to make things happen and I just remember asking Alex and telling him about my dreams and that I always liked visual, merchandising, beauty. And I remember him telling me that, you know, you spend so much time going through all these fashion blogs. Why don't you go into fashion? Why don't you try, you know, fashion styling or image consulting? And I said, why don't I? (laughs) I went on Google and just did a simple research and found out there's this program called AICI, Association of Image Consultants International. And they had courses at a local college. It's not like a two year course you have to do. It's something you can do in a few months and it's part time during the evening. So I thought, oh, this is a piece of cake. This is definitely something I can commit to. And this, for the first time, was school that I enjoyed. Every time I went to class, I had the sparkle in my eyes. I was there. Fully present, fully engaged, fully excited to learn. And I thought, wow, this is what school should be like. <laughs> but usually it's not, right? Because I think for the most part, people don't know what they go to school for. Or at least that's what my experience has been of the people around myself. It just makes such a difference when you're in school for something you're genuinely passionate about. I got certified as an image consultant pretty fast. So within a few months, and then I started my business as an image consultant, And Alex at the time was doing social media consulting. So this was probably eight and a half years ago when Twitter, Facebook, all these things was just starting to get exciting and just getting recognized. And it was a bit difficult for him because companies didn't listen to what he had to say. (laughs) And it's definitely different when you have to sell your services. I think both me and Alex are better at creating products that we enjoy ourselves and then organically selling them without even trying to sell them as opposed to selling our services. Because I found the same thing for me. I had a really hard time selling my services as an image consultant to potential customers.
0: You guys transitioned how quickly to products versus your services?
1: I'd say it was about a year and a half, two years. I did image consulting. And at the same time, I was doing fashion styling. And I was interning at this fashion agency. They represented makeup artists, fashion stylists, photographers in Toronto, some of the best really in the country. And I think they also work in the States as well. It's called Judy Inc. So I was interning there pretty much doing anything like buying them lunch, coffee, just running their errands just to get into the industry and get connections because that's the things you have to do when you're starting out. And to be honest, I loved it. I think it was so exciting. And eventually I got real paid work and, you know, I got to assist really amazing stylists on the shoots. And I just remember realizing something that I would read in magazines. But I think when you read in magazines, you don't realize or you read somebody's interview and that person, let's say, is a a movie star or a fashion stylist. And they say, listen, my job is not as glamorous as they make it seem. And you're like, sure, they're just saying that. But really, until you live it, you really live it, you don't realize that that's the reality. So as a fashion stylist, you know, I would wake up at six in the morning, drive downtown. We used to live in the suburbs of Toronto. And then be on the shoot all day, and then have to get bags and bags of clothes that we used for the shoot, go into the stores and return them. And you can imagine a reaction of somebody working at a retail store and me coming in with like three bags of clothes. (laughs) They really didn't like me. (laughs) That's like the softest way to put it. It just wasn't something that I could see myself doing sustainably for a long period of time. And I just remember calling Alex one day and I said, Listen, I don't think this is working out. As much as I love it, I like creative work and I love styling shoots, the actual work day to day, especially in Toronto. If you're in New York and Paris, you can be working with a lot of creative projects. But in a place like Toronto, most of the money and income comes from banking and more like traditional industries. Most of the shoots I would work on would be quite boring corporate jobs. (laughs) It wasn't that fun in the long run. And I just remember thinking that we have to do our own thing. One thing I realized, and same thing with Alice, when you work and you provide a service, you're not really a business owner, you are self-employed. So if you get sick, you don't get paid. If you will go on vacation, you don't get paid. When you have your own business and you have a product, you're making money if you're sleeping. And we figured out we definitely need a product business because we want to have freedom of time and freedom of mobility. So we want to be, let's say, one day in Toronto, one day in New York, one day in London, just have that freedom of space
0: and moving. And you guys definitely do that now, but we're not there yet. Yes. (laughs) Years later, later, you're there. You're coming from war-torn countries to self-employed for the first time in Canada, but you're not even yet, even to the chapters that you're at now.
1: To be honest, of course, you know, when you look at somebody's story, you usually hear about the highlights. And of course, there's a lot of downfalls. So there was a lot of downfalls and a lot of times when, you know, I would cry or I would feel completely lost and not knowing where all of this is going. One thing that kept me going, I think, is having that vision and knowing that this is the life I want to have. And it's kind of an anchor and it just moves you forward, especially in your darkest moments. What happened next is that we were in Italy while we were broke. (laughs) Don't ask me how that happened, but Yeah, credit cards can do that sometimes. So we went to Italy, me, Alex, my sister, and her boyfriend at the time. Out of nowhere, Alex just proposed, and I was like, wow, this is great, but we're both broke. (laughs) You know, it didn't matter. We talked about it, and he said, you know, if we know we love each other, might as well just continue growing this relationship. So we decided to get married the following year, and... I just know that like now that you look at me, you can think like the impression of me on Instagram or in YouTube videos and my thing like, oh, she has this big wardrobe and she has all these beauty items. I am actually quite minimalistic. If you see my closet is not that big, especially to American standards, maybe to European standards, it's, it's a bit bigger. But to American standards, I have a very small wardrobe and I keep it that way. I constantly donate things and I just like to have a functional wardrobe and same with my makeup I don't have a lot of things so why I'm talking about this is that that's why I could never justify getting hair extensions and I knew that for the wedding I'm definitely going to splurge and get hair extensions because my hair doesn't grow past a certain point point. and I always wanted to have long thick beautiful princess-like hair and I thought okay this is the time where I can allow myself to splurge on this product so I went in the local mall and I just bought this set of hair extensions without doing any research or anything. I just kind of thought, I always see these people. They seem to sell this product quite well. And yeah, I just got this girl to match the hair color to my hair color. She put it on. Just She just maybe put one weft in my hair. It seemed to be okay. And she quickly explained how to work it. And I bought the product. I came home Put it on in front of the mirror, looked in the mirror, and almost started crying because it looked so bad and unnatural. I just knew I blew like $140, 100 dollars I don't remember exactly how much I paid, but it was a lot of money, especially when you're broke. <laughs> I just remember that Alex and Layla, my sister Layla, were in the room. And I was mainly complaining to Layla, and I was just saying, this sucks. I can't return this product. Now, I don't have hair extensions to wear to our wedding day. I'm just so upset and devastated. Alex was in the room at the time as well. And he just said, what are you talking about? What's hair extensions? Tell me more. (laughs) We opened the laptop, which was on the bed next to us, and showed him all these YouTube videos of these girls. And at the time, hair extensions, clip-in hair extensions, weren't that big of a product in the U.S. yet, but it was huge in the U.K. So there were tons of videos of girls, the before and afters. And Alex was just fascinated by the emotional reaction because, you know, when the girl has something new on It's just, we can be quite emotional and over-exaggerated. And he thought, wow, this is a really cool product. Why don't we do this? Obviously, there's a gap in the market, especially after we started doing more research and we realized how expensive these hair extensions would be if you get them at the salon. That evening is when the idea was born. That's
0: where Luxie Hair came from.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much the moment the idea was born.
0: There's one thing to say, this is a gap in the market. We should do it. And there is another to creating the brand that you have right now. Yeah. (laughs) But I would go, I have no idea where hair comes from. What is interesting about this is someone else could be saying their intuition tells them they should do perfume. So it doesn't have to be hair specifically. But then you could still ask yourself, I have no idea how to make perfume. So what was that next step you took after you guys saw it as an opportunity to actually figure out how to do that? Well, we didn't know
1: much about hair extensions. What I did know is that I want a product that's natural looking and thick top to the bottom. Because the hair extensions that I bought at that shopping center was thick at the top, but really thin at the bottom, which makes it look fake once it's in your hair, especially if you have thicker hair, which I do have more like medium thick hair. So I knew that this is what I want. This is what I need for it to look natural in my hair. I need the extensions to look thick top to the bottom. So for me, that was the most important thing. That's kind of what I wanted for myself. And I realized, of course, if I want it for myself, then must be other people who want the same thing as well, because I'm not so special. (laughs) You know, there's millions and millions of people probably looking for the same product at this price range.
0: Did you just start Googling or what did you do next?
1: The next step for Alex was going on Alibaba and starting looking for suppliers. He was just spending days and days and you know, being up at three in the morning, talking to China and all these people on all these factories and asking questions and learning more about product from different factories and mainly in China, because I don't know why. Maybe again, from our research, we realized that we want to work with Asian hair because it's easier to manage. It's more silky and it's easier to work with and it works better for Caucasian market. And that's kind of our main target market. Of course, now everyone wears Lexi hair extensions. We have all kinds of people from all over the world. However, it was quite new at the time for a Caucasian woman to wear clip and hair extensions. It was very, very new. Now everyone does it. But back in the day, it was like, what are you talking about?
0: So for those that are wondering how they start something that they have no idea what to do, go online, start Googling or something like Alibaba for sourcing. Yeah, yeah. That was the beginning. (laughs) How did it take off?
1: We didn't have any money. (laughs) So... We borrowed money to buy the first stock from our factory. And what we decided to do, because we realized we're going to have to market these, before we even had the product, Alex said, listen, even if we don't find the right product, you guys should just get on YouTube and start making videos about just hair, just actually, Alex told me about YouTube years before we even had the idea for Luxy Hair because I had a fashion blog when I was doing image consulting. And I told him, no way, I'm not getting my face on YouTube. That's not happening. But then, you know, obviously two years later when this idea for Luxy Hair came about, we realized that if we're going to work with such a beautiful visual product, we have to showcase it in a video to do it justice. So I said, fine, <laughs> I think it's time. It's time to get on the video. And my first few videos, I think first maybe even 10 videos, were shot on the laptop, just my MacBook. (laughs) Pretty much it wasn't about the product because at the time we didn't have the product. We didn't even know (laughs) if we'll have the business. Alex was looking for the product, but we were already making videos. I think my first video was reviewing a hair straightener, GHD hair straightener, which was really hot at the time. And I knew that if I review it, probably some people are going to be searching for it. So maybe that way I can get some subscribers. And then just doing other videos like Things that we thought would be interesting for us personally to watch. That's kind of my theory about making videos. I do things that I'm personally interested in, and I know for sure there'll be other people who are just like me, interested in the same things. From the idea to the business, I think it was like three months, which is super rare. We got lucky because um, we had something like 10 different samples and the first sample we got from a factory, we were just amazed, completely wowed with. I remember putting it on and I had butterflies in my stomach and I thought, okay, don't get too excited because we're still going to get lots of different samples from other factories. And it ended up being that first sample. It was the best at the best price point because it was really important for us to have an affordable product because again, we were competing with salons and salons had the same kind of product if it was clipping, it was anywhere from five, $600. If it was Fusion hair extensions, it was $1,000 or more. Fusion is when they actually attach it to your hair, and you can unclip it. You just have to wear it out until it wears out, and then you just remove the hair. It was just a really exciting idea. We kind of saw the vision. We, I just knew it because I knew that I personally would buy the product myself. I think it's important when you're starting a business to be your own customer because that's the only way to start something authentic. If you see a need in the market, if you see a gap in the market and nobody's doing it the way you want to do it, go and do it. <laughs> I think that's that's how the best businesses are born.
0: You were very strategic about the videos you initially placed, not that you were trying to, say, go out and spend a ton of time reaching out to people as much as creating content people would search naturally for online. Then you would grow your program from there. Some of the videos I watched on your YouTube channel mentioned that you had some issues with depression and anxiety years ago. Where did that fit into the (laughs) storyline?
1: It's an interesting story, actually, and not one I shared too much, but I'm I'm definitely open to share it. One of the books that we read, I think, right before we started the business was For Our Workweek by Timothy Ferris. I'm sure you're familiar with the book. It's quite big in the States and all across the world. Have you read it, Jess?
0: Yes. It's been brought up a few times over different interviews as well.
1: Yeah. So when we read For Our Workweek, we realized that this is exactly what we want to do because we already talked about it since the beginning. (laughs) Since me and Alex met, this is the lifestyle we talked about. But the book allowed us to realize that there's other people in the world already doing and living this lifestyle. Now, when I mentioned the hair extensions to Alex in that moment in that room with Layla while I clipped them in and I wasn't happy with that product I purchased in the mall, it was kind of that moment where Alex found the muse or, you know, we all became aware of this product that could be the muse. And that's what Tim Ferriss talks about in his book as well. So, you know, Luxie Hair Extensions was the muse. It was a business that would allow us to live the lifestyle that we've always dreamt about. Five years ago in July, we we already started selling Luxie Hair Extensions online. And in September, we were already living in south of France, in Nice. Wow. (laughs) We like dived right into the four-hour work week. Of course, we still worked. We called it workation. Anytime people said, oh, you're on a holiday. No, we're working However, it didn't feel like work, first of all, because making videos, I just enjoy that part of work so much. And of course, the customer service, that's a bit of work and, you know, it takes time. However, it wasn't more than, let's say, 10 hours a week. It was very different from obviously (laughs) going to school and having two jobs. So it was a very different lifestyle. You're not working with people, you're working with computer. And pretty much right away, I got depressed and I just, I just felt completely lost,
0: (laughs) That's fascinating. That is not where I expected this to be coming from. Right when you get everything that you wanted, everything you dreamed of happened and you felt depressed.
1: Yeah, a beautiful, supportive, amazing husband, a business that is growing and profitable pretty much from the beginning, healthy body, everything, everything you can imagine being in the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah, For me, it was always my dream to go to South of France, and I feel completely lost and empty and depressed <laughs> and without a purpose.
0: Really? As you were doing your dream career, you felt like you didn't have a purpose.
1: See, the thing is, when we started Luxie Hair, we wanted to have a business so we can travel.
0: It was the muse. It wasn't your passion.
1: Absolutely. So the traveling was the purpose. But then when we got to travel, I realized, to me, traveling can be the purpose because... It's boring. <laughs> like it's one thing to do it for a week and you know you're going back to work. So you're like, oh, this is so fun. This is so exciting. But in the back of your mind, you know, you're going back to the office and you're going to share with your colleagues and you're going to do this. You have some sort of a routine that you're going back to. Here we were completely routine less, which was something we always wanted to do is like be all over the place and not have a routine. However, I was completely lost <laughs> without a routine, without a place to go to, without any routes and just like aimlessly traveling. I just realized right away, it's just not for me. It's just not.
0: So you found yourself in this depression. Yeah. Where do you think it came from?
1: I think it came from getting what you asked for. <laughs> now, looking back, I just realized it's just a pattern and everyone goes through that. When you ask for something, you get it. You will also learn something in that lesson. So obviously you think you're asking for something, but there will be parts of it that you might not enjoy and you will grow through that experience. So of course I was grateful to be able to travel and grateful to be free to do what I wanted to do. However, I think the attention was at the wrong thing. I just wanted to be financially free and I thought that traveling and money will make me happy because I don't come from a wealthy family. I think if you come from a wealthy family, you might be able to be aware of that younger in your life, I hope. (laughs) But for me, I just thought, yeah, that would be it. You know, I could go anywhere in the world, I could afford anything I want. I will be the happiest person in the world. And I wasn't.
0: (laughs) Actually you were happier when you were a child living with very little.
1: Yes. Or when I was working two jobs and going to school. I was craving for that. I just remember like, how is this possible? You your whole world kind of crumbles in your head because I think it's just we're marketed that If you have money, time, freedom, beautiful partner, you got the dream life and there's no reason not to be happy. Well, that's not the reality. And many successful people, I'm sure you've interviewed many successful people or read the books. I recently read Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, Total Recall, and he talks about the same thing. It's like most people won't be able to just leave this four-hour work week, just Sip on a pina colada somewhere on the beach. <laughs> I can do that maybe for a day. Like I can't even do that for a whole week. <laughs> I'm a workaholic by nature. I love working and I love having a purpose. So I think for me, it hit me pretty fast. And I shared it with Alex. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it didn't hit him for the first two years of the business. He was more skeptical. He didn't know if this was going to last. He just didn't relax where I could see right away that this is something special. And I felt like we're going to be successful, but that's not the point. So before the point was to become successful, but now my mentality completely shifted. I just realized success is just a byproduct. First, you need to find a purpose. And I went on this whole search in, in search of a purpose.
0: <laughs> what was that like?
1: It was scary. In moments, it was scary. I had panic attacks, anxiety. I just realized now the importance of routine, the importance of actually somewhere like getting out of the house and going somewhere, the importance of having people you work with, a team, or at least even if you're an entrepreneur and you work alone or maybe you have another person you work with, to get out and, and socialize with other people who do the same work. But I mean, I realize that now it's been five years. But in the first few months, in the first year you're so new to this and you don't know anyone who does the same thing. At least we didn't know at that time. And it really took us years to adjust, (laughs) to adjust and come to peace with this lifestyle and make the best of this lifestyle as well.
0: Right. Cause you're saying it's not all roses, even though it seems so rosy.
1: Definitely ain't.
0: (laughs) So how did you get out of the depression slash? I think that's partially the story of how did you find your purpose? One of the things I did, of
1: course, I kept doing the videos. And if you watch my videos, you would never know I was depressed during the time because YouTube videos help bring out the best of me. So I told myself for the 10, half an hour, an hour, whatever time it took me to make the video, I am not allowed to feel depressed. I'm here to bring out the best. So somehow I always manage like... The time before I made the video and the time while I was making the video sometimes was like so drastic because I would feel completely lost, completely depressed, and then I would turn the camera on and I would be like, you are gonna do your best right now and just give you all. And I would manage to do it somehow. It's funny. Sometimes when you believe you can do it, when you push yourself to do it, you really can. So the videos really kept me going. I really enjoyed still making the videos, and I really enjoyed the work but I think I started seeing the purpose of all the work in time like not right away because we started getting so much feedback back and people telling us that you know we watch your videos and yeah hair extensions and your hairstyles are great but it's mostly like the energy you and Layla because Layla was part of the business for the first two three years is the energy you and Layla give us you know it's so positive it's so exciting so the more we did it the more we realized there's actually so much purpose in what we do and it became easier and easier.
0: What do you see your purpose as now?
1: purpose is something that's evolving. It's definitely not one thing. I think my purpose mainly is to grow and evolve and create peace within. I think our world is a reflection of our inner world. So I think if I can create peace within, I will create peace outside as well.
0: (laughs) I work a lot with the word purpose as well. And try to help people realize it's not what they do that defines them. Their purpose is always the same, which is to serve others in the present moment. Wherever you happen to be in the videos, finding that just by being there and giving them that energy, that positivity, that was you serving in the present moment right where you were. And now you'll grow and evolve and be able to share that with others as well. I love that.
1: Yeah. And another thing that really helped me, and that's something I did almost right away when I fell into the depression and and later as well, is I started meditating. I've heard about Vipassana meditation from Alex's sister many years ago, and I was never really desperate enough, I guess, to try something so drastic.
0: What kind of meditation?
1: It's called Vipassana meditation. It's a silent meditation retreat, and you don't have to pay for it. It works because of the donations that people who complete the course do. And I'm very skeptical about workshops, meditation retreats, and all that stuff that I have to pay for. And because this was something that was based on donation, I was already open to try it out. The trick here is that it's silent, so you have to be silent for 10 days. And you can't call anyone, you can't be on your phone, you can't write, you can't read, you can't do anything. So you just meditate for 10 days. The first time I went, I, I didn't last more than three days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what does that mean you didn't last? You had to talk or you, you broke the silence?
1: I just, I, I just couldn't take all the emotions that I was feeling. And I was like, I need to get out of here. And I left, but I think it was still very beneficial, even the technique that they taught me in the first three days. And then I did go back in a year because I realized that it's only me who can help myself. And I did so much research and I even went to a shrink and I read all these psychologist books, brain books, all kinds of stuff and started eating healthier. But at the end of the day, I knew that I need to learn something that I can use daily that can help me cultivate inner peace. Everything I would find would point into the direction of meditation and I said, okay, fine, I'm going to give it a go again. And it was easier the second time I went because I knew what I was going to. The first time I thought, oh my God, it's going to be so easy, no problem. The second time I knew it was going to be hard. So I was prepared for the extremely hard work that it takes to just meditate for hours. <laughs> and I did do it the second time. And um, it was one of the best things I've done for myself.
0: Is it something that we can do anywhere or is it very specific locations? They have centers all over the world. So if you go on
1: the website, anywhere, even in the Middle East, even in Israel, in Costa Rica, and there's lots of centers in the U.S. and Canada, of course. Everywhere in the world, they have these centers, and you can just go there. They feed you, they house you, and they teach you how to meditate, and it's all free. If you complete the course, you can donate as much as you want, but that's about it.
0: That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. We'll put it in the show notes for anyone that's interested. You can just go to deslavycom slash Mimi Icon to find the link. That experience alone kind of helped kickstart your way out of the depression?
1: It definitely did because I learned something that I can do every day to create inner peace. And again, like you can watch a show, you can read a book, but unless you do something daily, you will not have consistent results. And it's the same thing with working out. If you want your body to be physically beautiful and healthy, then you need to work out every day or every few days or at least a few times a week. Same thing with meditation and with your mental health. You can't just do one thing and expect results. You can't just go to a workshop and you can't just read one book and then don't do anything and expect any kinds of results. So for me, when people ask me, like, what's one thing that really helped you with anxiety and depression? It was definitely meditation. I think they should teach it at school. I think they should... Do it in, well, actually, they do already teach it in some schools and even in some hospitals as well. Like it's scientifically proven to heal, it's a pretty incredible
0: practice. So, routine to some degree. Absolutely. (laughs) And meditation have proven to be really helpful. Even when you're living the wild fantasy, those things are incredibly important. Yeah. And um, at that
1: point, Alex was also reaching the point where he realized there is no point <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and just working this crazy lifestyle traveling. Well, again, we're still travel, but now it's with purpose. So it's very different. Through the first few years, we lived in California. We lived in Costa Rica. We lived in a few other places. And we realized when he came to the point where he was also depressed and life you know, lost all its colors, we decided to just sit down and decide what to do about it. And we just kind of looked back on our life and said, okay, fine, let's look at the times that we were the happiest. And we realized it was the time when we were working super hard, not four hours a week, more like 60 hours a week. And it was also the time when we're starting the business and we realized that it's really important for us to continuously grow and work on a project that will challenge us. I think that's really the key word here. When you don't feel challenged, you don't feel like you're growing, and that's when people get depressed, really.
0: Yeah. Actually, I was just hearing, I know you're a big Tony Robbins fan. Someone at a conference I was speaking at this weekend shared that Tony Robbins was asked what makes people happy, and he said progress is what makes people happy.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I think it's something that you can hear from someone or something you can learn on your own
0: experience. (laughs) So, we're kind of caught up to closer to today. So, what's going forward? What does Mimi Icon's life look like going forward? Just to go back a little bit, that's
1: when me and Alex decided to get an office. So, this was about two and a half, three years ago. We just said, okay, no more four hour work week thing. We're going to get an office. We had a few employees and they were all kind of working from home. We said, everyone will have to come to the office. We're going to create a culture we're going to grow this business, we're going to work on other businesses. We just got excited about life again and just seeing the things that we want to give. I think at the end of the day, is, what probably happened is that, of course, it was just a lot of learning because we were young and um, just <laughs> didn't know what this experience was all about <laughs> and how to properly uh, live this kind of lifestyle. And I think that's completely normal and fine. But I think uh, most important thing that we learn through this five years is that happiness comes from giving when you give you receive so much more but the most important thing of course is to give unconditionally so now we any way we can we do our best to give through our videos through our businesses of course it has to be authentic so it has to be things you're really interested in and passionate about
0: so is there any future things you can share with us about what your life will look like going forward or what your businesses will look like
1: Yeah, um, I don't know how much I can share, (laughs) but I'm definitely working on a very exciting project. The reason I'm not sharing is not because I don't like to share. I just believe that it's important to work hard first and then talk about things. (laughs) We're really working hard on this very exciting, passionate project that's really close to my heart. I'm not at a point where I am completely happy with the way things are turning out. And until they are, I won't be ready to share about it.
0: Well, thank you for hinting at it.
1: Yeah, it's something that I think most people can guess what it is because I'm like an open book. (laughs) But it's definitely something that I do a lot of already.
0: Tell us a story of some recent internal resistance you've had to face in your life. Is there something that has been challenging for you mentally and emotionally, but you've overcome or you're working on?
1: I'd say I come across resistance all the time. (laughs) Some of the examples is even meditating. As much as I know that it is beneficial, a lot of times you know i'd rather like answer another email than go and meditate it's just the resistance is always there and i think it actually kicks in a lot of times when you have to do something good for yourself <laughs> it'll kick in and be like try to distract you and not do it so now i try to be more and more conscious of it and actually do the opposite so if resistance is telling me oh do another email or watch another video or go on Facebook. I work really hard to become aware of that moment to break that cycle and actually, you know, shut up the computer and go meditate or take a break and just go for a walk or do something like that. To give you any other example, I like there's many. (laughs) There's really many. Resistance is there all the time. Or waking up early. That's another one. I, I really want to start waking up at six in the morning. It's been a struggle and mainly not because I can wake up early. I have no problem Waking up at six in the morning or even five in the morning, for me, the hardest part is going to sleep early. If I don't go to sleep early, then I don't get enough sleep. And it's really hard for me to function on four or five hours of sleep. And then you end up in a cycle. Yeah. Like you go through the same experience.
0: Yeah. I call it a linchpin habit. The going to bed early is actually the habit that makes the habit you want to focus on happen. So you have to find the habit before the habit you want to create and make that one happen. Because if you go to bed earlier, it'll be easier to get up, which means that the habit you actually want to cultivate happens. So what would you tell someone who is just starting out on this journey?
1: I would say the most important thing to make things happen is to believe in your own ideas and to believe in yourself. It really doesn't matter if other people do. If you can find a way to strongly believe in your own ideas, you can go through any resistance. And that includes other people telling you you can't do it. (laughs) I think to a point, of course, it's something that is in all of us. But I truly believe that it's something that we can cultivate and grow within as well. By surrounding yourself with other positive people who believe in themselves, you can become more confident by reading or watching videos of people who are inspiring and aspiring. And by looking at other people who have done what you want to do, I think that's another way to believe in yourself more. Because if they could do it, then why can't you? You're also a human being. You have two legs, two arms, (laughs) one nose and two eyes. Why should we not be able to do what other people have done? Just believe in yourself. That will take you anywhere.
0: And I think coming from you, coming from, you know, an eight-year-old in a war-torn country to living the dream life to not feeling like the dream life was that great, <laughs> but then to find purpose and meaning, I think you've really walked that walk without all those things where think that we have to have. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing with us, Mimi. You are incredible. Thank you, Jess. I really
1: appreciate you having me and for this really special moment we have.
0: And there you have it. Thank you, Mimi, so much for sharing with us and thank you for listening. If you would like to connect with Mimi, I think the best way to do so is over on Instagram. Her handle is Mimi Icon, I-K-O-N-N. And if you'd like to find me on Instagram or Twitter as well, I am Jess C as in Caterpillar Lively. And now for a sneak peek of next week's episode. Next week we are speaking with Mailek Teal, the founder of Curlbox.com and mytachi.com. Myleek is someone I really look up to in the online world as someone who is completely 100% herself and totally authentic in all things. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today.